Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. The editor-in-chief of the very athletic Bay Area, Jim Kawakami. Kawakami, who has covered the NBA for over two decades. It's time now for the TK Show on Athletic Podcast Network. Everybody, Tim Kawakami here, TK Show, recording from the home studio. Very, very glad to have on. So a guest I've had on before. Uh, We're going to get to my favorite part of the show with Mike Kruko, but uh, that's at the end because he's uh, got incredible taste. But first, we'll talk about some other things and we'll welcome on the show. Mike, great to have you on. How are you doing today? Good, TK. We're going to talk a little baseball. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on. Yes, absolutely. We're talking baseball. Uh, you know, this stuff's negotiations. It's closed doors. But you you know this team. You know the vibe. Like, what's your feeling right as the you know, hot stove league, the offseason, is really about to get going? What's your sense about kind of the Giants positioning in this? Well, I think one of the really significant things is, um, you know, they have not tried to hide the fact that they are – talking with the biggest of the free agents out there. And that's Aaron judge. And I think if you're going to get into a discussion, an honest discussion and try to persuade judge to come to San Francisco, the one thing that that judge is looking for is a competitive team. Now he does not want to walk into a, a rebuilding scenario. He wants to be part of a team that's going to contend to not just get to the playoffs, but win a world championship. And I think once the giants won all three, of their World Series appearances in 2010, 12, and 14, the expectations are off the chart from their fan base. So I think from the fan base perspective, when you see the Giants get active and make a push for Aaron Judge, you have to believe that the Giants are trying to convince Judge that they are going to surround him with talent and they are going to get in the all-go mode for another World Championship. And I think that's significant because even if they don't get Judge, there are a lot of big, big, prizes on the free agency market and they're all going to want to hear the same thing they're all going to want to hear that the giants are committed to do whatever it takes to get back to the main stage and i think that's the take that we are all observing right now as to uh, how the giants go about filling out their roster this offseason i totally expect for them to make a big splash or two or three but they're going for it. They're in the go mode, and uh, and and this is why I think this is going to be one of the most exciting off seasons that we've seen in years for the Giants. Yeah, I mean, even from I think Greg Johnson said like we're aware of the guy in the Bronx. So that was during the season uh, is becoming a free agent, and uh, yeah, I, I just sense an aggressiveness. Mike, I mean, you know, it does come down to finances, right? I mean, it does come to dollars. Uh, do you sense that this Giants ownership is like okay, we we got to move the chips in here this season, and that means big dollars. Oh, totally. And they also understand star power. Star star power, I mean, it, it gives your fan base a core belief. And not just that that player is going to produce, but your team is going to do whatever it takes. And and I and that and that mindset is is so contagious and it fills seats. This is a fan base that needs star power. They've earned the right. They're such a great fan base. And the Giants are aware of this and they're going to bring in some stars. I, I just think that um uh, that, that, that's the that's the path they have to take now. You know, they have an infrastructure now with their minor league system that can support uh, a, a big league team. They can fill in spots, but they need some cornerstones. They've lost Buster Posey, Evan Longoria, perhaps even Brandon Belt. 
they've, they have to replace those cornerstones. And the rest of the other positions, you can go into a platoon, which is what they like to do. You can support it from your minor league system. You've got enough talent down there to be able to do that. But you need to go out and you need to improve your cornerstone situation, which is what we've all been waiting here the last couple of years. You know, obviously, Judge is the first priority. There's, there's rarely been, maybe never been a free agent with his kind of numbers coming into his free agent season. That's priority one. But man, the, the name I'm looking at is Carlos Correa, just because he's younger. You know, you could he can give him the eight to ten year deal without too much worry about the back end. Obviously, a shortstop. They've got Brandon Crawford, but maybe you can move him. What What do you think about Crawford's? Fit? I mean, I'm sorry, Correa's fit with the Giants. Oh, I think it's a great fit. I mean, I say the thing about say the same thing about Trey Turner. I say the same thing about Xander Bogarts, uh, Dansby Swanson. There's some there's some big big prizes out there at the shortstop position. But having said that, I do believe that Brandon Crawford has earned the right to play every possible game at shortstop that he can from now until the end of his career. He has been that good for us. So whoever comes in, they may have to transition to another position for a year or two. But I, I, you know. I don't think that's going to be that hard of, of an argument to win. I know that Correa says, I'm going to be a shortstop, period. But I do believe that, that you can present a pretty good argument. Also, by your, by your package, what you do this offseason is going to have everything to do with how some of the big fellas want to, want to uh, come to your organization. So, you know, I, I don't think the big guys are going to sign anytime soon. But it allows the Giants an opportunity to make a pretty persuasive argument that you're going for it for some of these prizes. And if it means going to another position so that Brandon Crawford can play more shortstop, then so be it. I just don't see that as a big obstacle to, uh, to uh, for people who want to consider coming to San Francisco. You mentioned they want, you know, these phrases want to win. They want to go to a situation they think is stable and they think is, is committed to winning. Giants were 81 and 81 last year. I mean, obviously a big drop from 107 the year before, but 81 and 81 is not horrible. And it was only six losses. I mentioned this to Kapler a couple of weeks ago. Like you only sit, you're only six wins away from where Philly was. They won 87. Uh, and Philly gets to the World Series, could have won it all. Do you, do, how close do you think the Giants are? I mean, we know they need to make improvements and we know they will, but just this roster matched against everyone else. How far away do you think they are? Oh, I don't think they're far away at all. I think, uh, you know, you make two or three good moves in the offseason, all of a sudden you're right back there, even in the National League West, which, man, let's face it, that's a tough division. Um, I do like um, uh, what the new schedule uh, will will create opportunity for every, every team that wants to contend. And I think if you are a team that is close, um, the new schedule is uh, beneficial um, so, you know, because of the schedule and, uh, and, and with the hopes that there's going to be two or three uh, significant players coming into this, uh, to this organization, I don't think they're far off at all. I, I think Kapler's job of getting the team to 500 last year, given what had happened to it and all the injuries, I thought it was as remarkable as this year when he won 107. So I, I think that they have everything placed to be a contender very quickly. You talk about the new schedule, you mean just playing in the division less and, and kind of spreading it out a little bit more is going to help them a little bit, a little bit you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, look, you, you, you got 38 games against the Dodgers and the Padres, but those are 30, 38 tough games. And the other the other part of the division starting to catch up. We saw big-time improvement in Arizona. So, and, uh, and and I just don't think that it's, it's ever going to be easy going into Coors Field. So there's a lot of speed bumps in the National League West. But – I do think that uh, 
you know, because you're going to be going and playing these teams fewer, uh, then that means there's going to be other opportunities to play teams that maybe are not quite so good in other divisions, which means your, your overall record will be able to be improved. I think it's a more fair and balanced schedule uh, than we've seen in Major League Baseball ever. So I, I'm looking forward to that. I made to mention this, you know, just box office is important. We know how important the attendance is. It has been so incredible at Oracle Park over the years. Back Bell Park, whatever, all the other names it was. And, and the downtown San Francisco has changed because of COVID. And last year was tough. I know. I mean, I wasn't there a, a lot, but, you know, the attendance was way down. What was it, you know, kind of, did you, did you feel that? Did the players feel that? You know, what was last, last year like just kind of the atmosphere? No, no. They, I mean, they, you didn't fill it out like you, you had in previous years, but the attitude that the people brought in was every bit as good as the old candlestick days. I mean, even if you'd have 8,000 people, the attitude was always good. I mean, that's one of the great parts about playing at San Francisco. I, I don't think that the players felt it. I mean, look, they, they every night they went out there, they had a great crowd to play in front of. If whether or not it was sold out, I mean, the enthusiasm and uh, and the anticipation that, that, that the fans brought, the electricity, it, that never fails. Uh, you talked about some of the, the, the rules changes or schedule change. What do you think about the limiting of platoons that's going into effect next season or, or the, you know, the pitch clock, which could affect some guys. I mean, affect some guys on the giants too, Duvall and a few others. Do you like these changes, these kind of tweaks? Uh, are there some you like a little better than others? Oh yeah. Uh, the, the pitch clock. I, I, I can't wait for that. I mean, you know, what's happened here and we watched it evolve. Um, we watched one thing evolve. The other one erode. What evolved was the encouragement from pitching coaches and hitting coaches, especially to hitters, to control the rhythm of the at bat, to get in there and do your rhythm. Well, some of these guys, their routine that, that is their rhythm. There's 20 things that they're doing and they step out and they redo it between every pitch. That's how they get themselves ready to hit at the encouragement of their hitting instructor. What's well, become so bizarre that, it's affected the game in such a negative way. It's made it a slow game. With the pitch clock, the the pitcher who was slow, the hitter who was slow, now all of a sudden they're being encouraged to get in the box or you're going to be penalized. And I think you're going to see a quicker pace game, which I think this this game needs to be played at a quicker pace. So what, what I thought was a big detriment for the last 10 years, probably 20 years, has, has evolved into a situation of, of being – uncomfortable from a fan's perspective to watch pitchers and hitters get prepared to hit because they have to complete the rhythm. The other thing that, that I I've seen in the last couple of years is the universal DH, which I think batting skills from hitter from pitchers and bunting skills had eroded so badly that I found myself wanting the designated hitter. And I never, ever thought I'd say that because I love national league baseball. I love the bunt. But it was, it was really hard for me to watch hitters, pitchers who were hitting, get in the box and under the instruction from their manager to not swing the bat. Yep. And that pissed me off every time I saw it. And then I saw other guys who were so feeble at trying to get a bunt down that it made me sick. So I, I don't have to watch it anymore. Now <laughs> I can just watch the DH and I'm happy with it. So that erosion of skill has led to me wanting to see a rule change that I never thought I would want to see. So with the pitch clock, with the DH, we're seeing a game that I think will finally be much more fun from a, a viewer's perspective. Also controlling the number of players you can put on, on each side of second base, 
I think is a good rule. I think it will open it up for uh, for hitters. Uh, it'll be very, very interesting to see guys like Joey Gallo, who just got crippled because of uh, the the dramatic defensive shift employed against him, how much better he'll be next year. Hitter, uh, infielders can no longer go out in the grass 50 feet or even longer to defend against a, a big, powerful pull hitter. So he's going to get more hits. Brandon Belt's going to get more hits. Uh you know, Rizzo's going to get more hits. Every left-hander on the planet is going to get more yeah, hits. Josh Peterson, right? Josh Peterson. Josh Peterson's going to get 30 more points possibly on his on his batting average. I mean, that's significant. We're looking at the average batting average in Major League Baseball has gone down almost 20 points. Yeah. And that's just – people don't want to see that. They don't want to see some guy making a play 50 feet out in the outfield. They want to see offense. They want to see – they want to see, you know, defense – they want to see guys being forced to be more athletic in their position. How athletic do you have to be when you're playing second base and you're 100 feet out in the outfield? You don't. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think that the game is going to be better here because of the rule changes, and I'm looking forward to them. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus you mentioned that pitching stuff. That is a pet peeve. And, Mike, obviously you are a very good hitting pitcher, uh, and it, it must have driven you crazy. We can tell it drove you crazy. And I, I just – like pitchers who who hurt get hurt when they swing. Like what is what is that? Like, you know, they can't run to first base or also twist, twist their ankle. I mean, obviously it's because there's been DHs throughout college. There's DHs in all the minor leagues. I understand why. But it, it felt – I'm a National League guy just like you. I want to see pitchers. I just love when the pitcher can hit and there's a huge advantage. But that was gone, right? That was – like the amount of pitchers you could hit is probably down to three in baseball. Man, as a mum garner being one of them. Uh, just the idea – well, these pitchers getting less athletic, Mike. I mean, is this just that we have to accept that? Or is there, is there a way like – let's try to get these pitchers to be able to play the whole game here. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if they're less athletic. I think that's a bit of an insult to pitchers, and, and uh, but they're not being allowed to to develop their skills. Um, you know, you know, and, and I have asked managers, well, why why are these guys so bad? Why aren't they hitting? Well, we don't have enough time to give them to to go ahead and hit and polish their skills. Plus, you know what? It's almost like they don't want to. Number one, no a bat, a relief pitcher is allowed to hit. Just scratch that off. He's got to go up there and become a pair of shoes. But, I mean, I watched the, the the pitchers hit. You cannot become a good hitter relying on a 15-minute session of batting practice at home. You can't. You have to play pepper. You have to take it upon yourself to get in the cage, and you can go have uh, 
they've got three hitting instructors. We only had <laughs> one with three hitting instructors. You should have ample time to go there at whatever time of day and get him to help you develop your skills, to develop, uh, you know, your ability to hit and have a little back control. That coupled with a little bit of pepper, you'd be surprised at how quickly those skills would come back. They are great athletes or they wouldn't be in the big leagues. But the fact that they've turned their back on basic skills and basic fundamentals, it's, it just, it, I'm disgusted by it. So anyway, look, I'm on this awful tangent here. No, I agree with you. I'm, pull, I'm pulling you down this tangent. So blame me on it. I'm going to throw you quite, I, th- I threw it out to Kapler a couple of weeks ago and, and, and maybe in a, for a different era of players, I'm asking you, we, we do have the hall of fame vote always every year. And we have this, the new veterans committee looking at some of the more recent guys. And let's put bonds and Clemens aside and Schilling. I mean, I, I think they should be in. We'll see if this new committee eventually gets them in or not. But beyond those guys, Mike, or is there a player or two either from you played against or you've watched so closely who isn't in the Hall of Fame, who didn't get voted in, that you think should get some more support? Well, Jeff Kent, number one, I think it's a lock. This is his last time on the uh, the list before he goes into that limbo where Bonds is now. And I, I just don't understand, you know, why? And, and I'll say this because I think it's what's keeping Bonds out of the Hall. We've seen other players who have had innuendos surround them about PEDs get into the hole. So once that bridge has been crossed, I don't understand why it's an issue anymore. I really don't. But if you look at, at the, at the relationship that bonds had with the press, it was horrible. He was abusive. He was insulting. And if I'm there waiting for a quote after a game for 40 minutes, and then he comes in and says, I'm not talking. I don't know if I would forget that anytime soon. But I think it's carried on. It's carried on for 10 years. The guys who had, or the, the, the men and women who were the writers that are refusing to ro- vote for him, I don't think it's a PED issue. I think it's a rudeness issue. And I think for some of the players who who did not have a, a, a good relationship with, a, with the media, I think that, that, that that is the reason why they're not going into the Hall of Fame. And I think it's, it's a bit frustrating. And I don't want to single out particular players who are, who are that way. I will speak about bonds because I think it was an obvious, but I do think that, that it is an issue with some guys getting in every guy who's on that veterans list with bonds deserves to be in, in my opinion. And the other guy who's on the list right now is, uh, is uh, Kent. And I just think, Oh, Marvis Gell, another guy. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I get so worked up about it because I, I think there are deserving people who aren't in, but I mean, the one guy I really would like to see get in who's still on the list and doesn't even get enough argument for him as Kent. I, I'll just have, I don't want to get you too heated here, but I, I had been a voter. I don't vote anymore. I, I've just chosen to step out, step away from it. I had chances to vote for Kent and I didn't. And it's just, I'm not saying he's not a Hall of Famer. It just becomes part of the context of who else you're voting for, who's on that list. I do vote for Bonds. I voted for Bonds every single time, every single time. And he was rude to me many times, but that's okay. He, he obviously deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Kent's career was pretty short, though. I mean, like prime career. That's when you really look at it and you like you judge him against a Larry Walker or even Scott Roll. So, I mean, it's debatable. I'm not saying there's any right answer. When I've looked at it, though, Kent's prime was pretty short. Like there's not many Hall of Famers of like a five year prime. And that was really Jeff's like five years. Like I voted for Edgar Martinez ahead of Kent and it was debatable. But 
he had a, such a longer, you know, more contributions throughout his career. We, I don't want, I don't want to like get you mad about it, but that's what I'll just say, <laughs> since you brought it up and I did have that vote, I didn't want to duck it. I didn't want to duck that one. Uh, and I had, I wish you were still voting. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you agonized over that list and, and I love that about you. And I love, yeah. and I think for the most part, it's, it's that, it's that way with, uh, with most of our riders. I, I think that they're such an intricate part of our game and always have been and always will be such an important part. And I, I really, it hurts me to see players not understand the importance of the media and, uh, and rudeness, and uh, I just don't understand it. But, you know, it, in the end, you know, like this last year when they had the Veterans Committee bring in Jim Cott and, uh, and uh, Tony Oliva and Gil Hodges, I, I was so, I, my spirits really were lifted by that because these guys had waited for the longest time and they finally got in. And I do believe through time, the people that we're talking about right now, they're all eventually going to get in. They just have to be patient. Yep, I agree. I mean, you look at the future lists, like it, it isn't a great list. Some of the careers somehow haven't been that great. There's there's great Miguel Cabrera. There's some others that are going to come up in a few years, Sabathia. But these there's going to be some borderline guys get in. And like I go, Will Clark. Will Clark's a guy like maybe it's just because of my childhood and I was watching him and I got – I know he had a shorter career, and maybe this goes against my my uh, Jeff Ken argument. But man, when I watched Will Clark play, I thought he was a Hall of Famer. I just thought like Buster Posey, short prime, he's getting in. But like, there's some guys that I just feel are Hall of Famers when you see them on the field. Maybe you feel that way about Kent, but I feel that way about Will Clark and Buster Posey, Keith Hernandez. Oh, I agree with you. Uh, and you know what? I mean, there's, but I, look, I've always been a proponent for a bigger hall. Yep. And it, it, that'll never happen. But just in time, I think that some of these guys will get in. And, and I hope that I'm still standing when Will Clark gets the call because he he changed the whole thing here. Yep. Yep. I mean, we witnessed it, and and his contribution to San Francisco was was complimented when they retired his number. And it was so great when uh, he had his acceptance speech when they retired the number. He said, "For me, this is my Hall of Fame," mm-hmm. and he was sincere as a heart attack. Look, he wants to be in the Hall. Who doesn't? But to be acknowledged and have his number retired for an organization that's been around 140 years, that was his hall. And I loved it. I love that about Will. So what a and speech. someday, he gave, hopefully, he gets in. What a speech he gave, by the way. Man, he blew he blew me away with that speech. Like he and he he knew it. He knew he was gonna give that speech. It came from the heart. It was was awesome. All right, it was Mike. good. I'm Will the Thrill Clark. <laughs> it was great. All right, Mike. This is not the only reason I'm having you on. You know that, but I love your. You gave me a great book recommendation last time, the IQ series, which I am devouring and waiting for. I think there's another one coming up soon. I'm going to tip my hand on this. I'm going to ask you a version of the question I ask all my guests. Mike Krukro, what's your favorite book right now? Well, I think one that I'll recommend to you because you are uh, you are diverse in your and your love of, of literature, um, Kate Quinn's uh, The Rose Code. And she's got about five books and and, uh, and historical fiction I love. But The Rose Code is such a great book. It's about the women uh, in England who were code breakers uh, and never, ever got the applause that they deserved because they couldn't have it. They had to they had to stay mum for years and years. And they, it was just such an intriguing story and an incredible contribution to the war effort. And uh, Kate Quinn capsulized it uh, in, a, in a very, very well-written book. So I recommend The Rose Code Excellent. Uh, by Kate Quinn. It's a good one. You know what? I think uh, Steve Kerr might like that, too, because he loves that War, World War II British 
kind of like, you know, fiction, uh, you know, nonfiction kind of novel-esque kind of stuff. And this sounds like I'm going to read it. And if I like it, I'm going to recommend it to Kirk. I'm telling you said so. So uh, that'll be great. Well, well, that's a deal. You got one for me? Man, you, you, I, my, we were just talking before the show. Michael Connolly is my favorite author. I think he is my favorite author. Desert Star. Uh, and I mentioned that to you. I don't think you've read it yet. I would, I recommend that. Oh, I got it. Yeah. I read yeah. that. Oh, that comes okay. out, I'm reading it that day. I read about 150 books a year. Awesome. Awesome. You are, you are my go-to. So I don't know if I can get you on something because you read everything that I would read. Uh, I just finished Desert Star and I, I, the guy doesn't miss. Like there's some people who miss sometimes. Conley doesn't miss. Like some books are, you know, livelier than others. Some books are sadder than others. Some books are whatever, but young, you know, young Harry Bosch is different than old Harry Bosch. I, I was flipping through those pages go, Conley doesn't miss. Like I can trust him to carry me through a story. Like Grisham, I've read a few of his latest ones. Yeah, yeah you know what? I'm kind of forcing my way through this. Conley is never that case for me. Plus, he dedicated one book to Vince Scully. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep, absolutely. So, you know what? That's another feather in his cap. By the way, did you ever go to any of the restaurants, the Bosch restaurants, the little dive bars and, and uh, gut bomb heavens that, uh, that Michael Connolly has a map around L.A. where you can go to it? <laughs> yep. It's hysterical. And I've been to all of them. Wow. They're great. Is it the, the Badger one of them? The bar, the Badger, I think might be? And, and uh, Pacific Dining Car, of course. I, that's of in course, there somewhere. of yeah, course. I mean, I love old LA. Mike, I love old LA. I lived there for 10 years and that was my favorite part. It wasn't Hollywood. I was just like that old LA, that real, the noir stuff that still exists. Hancock Park and all those things. Uh, Angel's Flight, which he had a book. That's my favorite Conley book, Angel's Flight. Uh, and and it's that, that and whatever, he, that thing, that device that goes up and down the hill there. Love that stuff. Uh, and yeah, there's always like a Dodger game on in the background, right? When Bosch is in his house and it's, I love that stuff. It's very LA and I love that you're bringing it up. We can keep talking books, Mike, but I'm going to let you go here. Always appreciate the conversation. Great talking and great seeing you. I know Tanika is happy to have you on. So uh, always good for that. Thanks so much for being on, Mike. Thanks, DK, and thank you, Tanika, for you. She's she's the best producer in the business right there. I don't know how you got her. You got a good line to get her to work for you. Ruko said that right when, when Tanika came on board, and he was not wrong. He was the thumbs up right away. So, everybody, thanks so much. That's the show for today. <laughs>